Welcome to Wobblers Live. This is the place where we look at all the issues of the day from a biblical, constitutional, and historical perspective. And this week, we're bringing you a really special program that does all three of those things. It's a new course that we started in January of this year called Biblical Citizenship in Modern America. It's an eight-week course, and it's an opportunity for you to bring friends and family together and discuss the hot topics of the day from a biblical perspective and talk about what we should be doing as Christians to be salt and light in our communities. What we're doing here on the radio program is we're bringing you the third week of that eight-week course all throughout this week. So today is part two of that. So if you missed yesterday, you might want to go back to our website at wobblerslive.com, click on the archives and listen to yesterday's program. But we're going to dive right back in where we left off yesterday. This is biblical citizenship in modern America. I had being up as a search service. I looked for John Clum Christian. Couldn't get a single hit. That's interesting. So I just went over to DuckDuckGo and tried it on DuckDuckGo, and all sorts of articles popped up about John Clum the Christian. Interesting. I'll look for that topic on being, and it's cut out. The same way, I was writing about Hollywood and how different Hollywood used to be. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's about two dozen uh, guys who won the Academy Award back in the golden age of Hollywood that were veterans. We loved America. We promoted America. So many faith movies back in those days. We believed, as George Washington said, that religion and morality were the foundation of patriotism. That's what he said in his farewell address. So Hollywood used to promote that. And one of the guys who helped do that was a guy named Cecil B. DeMille. Cecil B. DeMille directed 81 movies. He, he was nominated for three Academy Awards, uh, The Greatest Show on Earth, and The Ten Commandments, and all these great movies he did. And he's a strong Christian guy. As a matter of fact, after he did the movie Ten Commandments, Yul Brenner, who was one of the stars in that movie, uh, Charlton Heston, another star, the three of them went around the United States erecting Ten Commandments monuments all over the United States. Some accounts say they erected more than 4,000 Ten Commandments monuments in parks everywhere. And uh, when the case went to the Supreme Court a few years ago about whether Texas could have the Ten Commandments out on its, its, its courtyard there in, in the, the capital area, it was Ten Commandments that was part of what had been erected back there when the, the Hollywood guys were actually erecting Ten Commandments. That's what led to the Supreme Court case. So I know the Cecil B. DeMille, very strong faith guy. So on being, I look up Cecil B. DeMille, Christian. Nothing comes up. I go to DuckDuckGo, Cecil B. DeMille, Christian. Listing all over the place. So you actually now have to find out, how do you find truth? How, how, how do you go to a source of truth? Because you can't just trust the first thing that pops up anymore because algorithms are changed in such a way. This is where you have to go back to original document. If it was a trial, what you do is you throw out all hearsay evidence and you have to have primary first source evidence from an eyewitness. We don't allow somebody who heard th second or third hand or whatever. You got to go to somebody who is an expert on that, who actually saw it happen and was there. And that's why with what we have at Wallboat, there's a collection you saw last week. We've got more than 100,000 items that predate 1812. So if you want to know what the founding fathers thought about judicial activism or, or what they thought about immigration or anything else, let's just go get the original documents and read it in their own handwriting. That's one way you find truth. So what happens is to find the truth today is now becoming hard work because you're going to hear all sorts of things, and then you're going to hear even conservative media pick it up and say it. And just because three or four conservative channels say it doesn't mean it's more any right than three or four progressive channels say it. You have to be able to say what is the truth. And I, I find as a I tend to be a conservative. That's not what I call myself. That's what everybody else calls me. I just hold beliefs that I think are consistent with the Constitution and the Bible, which that would put me in the conservative camp today. 
I would point out that that actually being called a conservative, progressive, anything else, while it's helpful for identification, it really means nothing. I've got a friend who serves in, in parliament in Australia who believes exactly what I believe, which over in Australia, that means you're a member of the liberal party. The liberal party is the party that believes in biblical morality and biblical principles. So the names we, we stick on, on labels really doesn't matter as much as what the beliefs are. So even as a conservative, I find that there are so many of my conservative news outlets, I go, no, that's actually not true. Uh, actually, here's what the founding fathers said about the issue of filibusters in the Senate. And while you may be conservative and you may be chewing up uh, Schumer in the Senate for trying to break the filibuster rule, here's actually what the founding fathers said about that. That's not to me a conservative liberal issue. That's a truth issue that goes back to what the actual debates were when it actually happened. So that's part of what we have to do is we have to put hard work in. You see, in America, we have had good intentions for so long that we've really been coasting on these good intentions. Oh, we know that our teacher's not lying to us. We know that the media is not really lying to us. Well, not anymore. We can't make those assumptions in any area anymore. See, as good-hearted people, we want to assume the best of other people. And in doing that, we often buy a lot of garbage. It's really not true because we're assuming, I've got a good car. I wouldn't deliberately lie to somebody. They wouldn't do it to me. Yeah, they would. And so what, happens, what has to happen now is, is you can't coast with good intentions anymore. You have to say, wait a minute, time out. I need to find out if that's true. I, I love the passage in Acts 17.11, Acts 17.11, where Paul, on his second missionary journey, as he's going from place to place, remember, Paul is the most credentialed apostle in Christianity. He's the guy with all the PhDs after his name. He was raised at the foot of Gamaliel, who was a great, great thinker, great legal scholar, great biblical scholar. Paul had all the credentials. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He, I mean, everything was there. And when he was talking about the Bereans on his second missionary journey, he said, I love these guys. He said, they don't believe anything I tell them until after they go check the scriptures to see if I was telling them the truth. And Paul said that those in Berea were more noble than those even in Thessalonica. And we have the, the books in the Bible, the first and second Thessalonians, and those in Thessalonica said, Paul said, these guys in Berea are more noble than even the guys in Thessalonica because they won't believe anything I tell them until they go check the scriptures for themselves to see if it's true. See, that's the attitude you get. What I'm telling you tonight, you need to go check and see if this is true. You need to find out if I'm telling you, you can't just assume that people are telling you the truth. That's what we've coasted on for a long time and look where we are now as a result. We don't even recognize evil intent when it comes anymore. So what has to happen is we have to find the truth. So you have to love the truth, you have to find the truth, and the third thing we have to do is we have to defend the truth. Defending the truth takes a lot of courage. This is a different time in our history, unlike any other time. Uh, recent polling tells us that 77% of traditional value Americans now self-censor because of the current hostility that's out there. We've seen 70,000 people in groups be deplatformed. I'm going to have to tone it down a little bit. Otherwise, I won't have any friends left to talk to. I, you know, I've got 200 reach that I can get here, and so I've got to keep, tone it down so I can keep my 200 and so what happens is we're backing away from the message. We're backing away from confronting what the truth is, and we're going more into what they want us to say so that we can keep a position of not losing all of our voice. That's not the right thing to do. You, you can't be backed up, and you can't be intimidated. And now that's what we find is Americans are self-censoring because of the climate. That, you know, if I say this, I'm going to get attacked on Facebook. If I say this, they're going to launch on me. Whatever it is, you can't self-censor anymore. It's interesting that in the Bible, and the Bible tells us so much, and not even about, just about the practical things like economics, the other things we talked about, government, law, but it tells us even about spiritual things like heaven and hell. 
And according to the Bible, heaven and hell, they are very real places. We, we know about heaven. We know about Jesus and how we get to heaven. But hell, we don't always spend a lot of time on hell. We, we know that it exists, and yet the Bible tells us that is a very real place. It's just as real as what we believe heaven to be. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you look in, in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 8, in the book of Revelation, it talks about the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is a second death. That's hell. That's describing hell. In that verse, who is it that goes to hell? According to that verse, you read the first part of the verse, it says, well, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars. That's some bad folks. A murderer and liars and perjurers, those are folks that go to hell. You may notice that there's a blank at the top there. You see that blank at the top? What is it that starts the list of who gets sent to hell? The first thing on the list is cowards and fearful. All the other people go there for what they do. They killed someone. They are liars. They're perjured. These folks go there for what they didn't do. They didn't have any backbone. They wouldn't stand up. They were cowards. They were fearful. It's interesting to me that God puts that at the top of the list of stuff he doesn't like. And this is what will get you sent to hell. Wow. We need to develop a backbone. Imagine if the founding fathers had the same attitude that so many conservatives today have. We'd still be part of the British, we'd still be British colonies. And I'm not saying that we need to go out and have confrontation and we need to have violent stuff and have a revolution. By the way, we don't even understand that. Those guys worked 11 years to not get into a conflict. After the British started coming after them, 11 years later, they're still trying peaceful reconciliation. Matter of fact, six years after the British started firing bullets at them, they were still trying to reconcile. They weren't looking to split, but once they got pushed so far, that's the only thing they could do and stand with integrity. And so you have to have some point at which you say, you know what, I'm not crossing this line with social media. I'm not crossing this line with the school district. They're not going to talk me into whatever. Whatever it is, you have to take a position, and you can't be fearful, and you can't be a coward. So that's what the Bible tells us, and that's why courage is the third thing that I'll point out. So in talking about truth, just to hit this again real quickly, you have to love truth above your own opinion. You have to be willing to change. That's some of the hardest decisions to make is that I have to give up something I've believed for much of my life because I now find I'm wrong. You have to be willing to love the truth, but then you now have to be able to find the truth. And this is, we've never been at a point in America where that this is the, the situation we have now. There's so many lies out there that are presented as truth that how do we know what's true and what's not? This is where it's going to take a lot of hard work to find the truth. We've got to put more effort into being a citizen than we've ever had to do in our entire life, more effort into being a Christian than we have our entire life. And then once we do that, we have to defend the truth. And defending the truth takes a lot of backbone, a lot of courage, particularly in a nation that's as polarized as we are now. You see, when three out of five Americans believe there is no absolute truth, for you to defend it means 60% is going to be against you because they think absolute truth is determined by them, not by any objective standard. So just tell you, you're going to be in the minority when you start standing there for truth, even if it's among your own folks. You know, I kind of look at what happened with Moses as a great example. I've been involved in politics. I've been involved in church, held a lot of church positions, held a lot of political positions. In both positions, the motto I put up in my office wall is, I don't need enemies. I have friends. And often... It's the friends that attack you worse than your enemies do. I've learned in both politics and church, I really need bulletproof vests. And I always wear them to the back because it's a friendly fire that kills you. It's, you know, you look at Moses. Moses only had to fight the Egyptians one time. He fought his own people for 40 years. And that's the way it is. 
you start standing for truth, and you're going to have a lot of opposition, even from people that should be on your side. Just because they oppose you doesn't mean they won't change eventually. You just keep standing firm and keep making your articulate arguments. You keep reasoning, keep presenting truth, and you'll find that people eventually shift and come back in the right direction. Because what you're saying the first time, they've never heard before. So they're going to reject it because I've never heard that. Understand? So let me explain it to you a different way. Let me come at it from this direction. See, you just have to be faithful to hang in there and keep saying the truth, keep defending the truth, keep speaking the truth, keep having courage with truth. You'll find that you'll start developing a following that will come behind you and say, you know, you're right. I used to believe you were really crazy, but now I find that what you said is true. That's the kind of tenacity we have to have with truth. So I encourage you to love the truth, to spend the effort to find the truth, and then to defend the truth. If you're interested, the book we have, The American Story, it's all about truth of what happened in America. It's a counter-narrative of the 1619 Project, and it's not based on our opinions. There's more than a 1,000 footnotes in there that go back to original sources. So you can check it yourself, and we encourage you to do that. And then seeing how the Bible relates to every aspect of life is why we did the Founder's Bible. It takes the Bible verses, shows what goes with immigration or economics or civil justice or education or anything else. Bible is a great book, so I encourage you to get into those books, study them. If you need resources, it's a great place to go. God bless you guys. Thanks for letting me share with you. Our friends, quick break today. We're only doing one break today. We'll be right back with more of Biblical Citizenship in Modern America. Have you ever wanted to learn more about the United States Constitution, but just felt like, man, the classes are boring, or it's just that old language from 200 years ago, or I don't know where to start? People want to know, but it gets frustrating because you don't know where to look for truth about the Constitution either. Well, we've got a special program for you available now called Constitution Alive with David Barton and Rick Green, and it's actually a teaching done on the Constitution at Independence Hall in the very room where the Constitution was framed. We take you both to Philadelphia, the Cradle of Liberty and Independence Hall, and to the Wall Builders Library, where David Barton brings the history to life to teach the original intent of our founding fathers. We call it the Quick Start Guide to the Constitution because in just a few hours through these videos, you will learn the Citizen's Guide to America's Constitution. You'll learn what you need to do to help save our constitutional republic. It's fun, it's entertaining, and it's going to inspire you to do your part to preserve freedom for future generations. It's called Constitution Alive with David Barton and Rick Green. You can find out more information on our website now at wallbuilders.com. Welcome back to Wall Builders Live. Biblical citizenship in modern America is the topic this week. We're sharing with you week three out of an eight-week course called Biblical Citizenship. Let's jump right in where we left off before the break. Welcome to Constitution Alive, the Citizen's Guide to America's Founding Documents. We are here in one of the most amazing libraries on the planet with one of the foremost experts on the Founding Fathers and our Founding Documents, David Barton. David, thank you so much for having us here. Hey, good to be here, Rick. Thanks for having me, bro. So why do you dive into so much history? Why spend so much time in the past? You know, the reason we do that is because we have been the most successful nation in the history of the world to this point. And there's a reason for that. And our objective with what we want to do, our objective is really well stated by John Jay. Now, John Jay became the original Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, but at the time they wrote the Constitution, he and James Madison, Alexander Hamilton did the Federalist Papers, 
and that was to explain to America what the Constitution is all about. So he's really one of the three guys most responsible for the adoption of the Constitution through those Federalist Papers. He had a great statement on why we study this type of stuff. And, and this is the statement he made. He said, every member of the state ought diligently to read and to study the Constitution of his country and teach the rising generation to be free. Now, it's interesting. He relates being free to knowing the Constitution. You ought, to, you ought to know the Constitution and teach the next generation if you intend to be free. He says, by knowing their rights, they will sooner perceive when they're violated and be the better prepared to defend and assert them. Now, that's really the objective of what we're doing all these next lessons that yeah. come along. And there's six verbs that he has in there that will be really the guideline for what every citizen needs to shoot for. So the six verbs... So this will really drive everything we do for the rest of this everything. course, then. This, this is our outline. That's the outline. Okay. He says, first, you want to read the Constitution of country. You want to read and study it. And it's one thing to read. It's another thing to study it. Yeah. So read is like a quick perusal, but study is get to know it. And then he says, and then you want to be able to teach it. You want to be able to take the next generation and say, hey, guys, here's what you need to know. Here's the document you need to know. Here's the principles. This is what will keep you free. And this is the formula that's produced American success. Then he says, when you do that, then you'll know your rights. And when you know your rights, you'll perceive when they're being violated. And then you'll be prepared to defend and to assert them. And there's a big difference between defend and assert. Defend is on defense. I'll defend my rights. Assert them as I'm going on offense to make sure I defend your rights. Which we need to do more of. And that, that's what yeah. we need. If that's what's going to keep us free, this part is where we're really losing out, teaching the rising that's generation right. to be free. If, if we don't have a good education system, if we're not teaching what's in this room, we're losing the formula. Well, you hit the education system, let's just be real blunt. We spend up to $120,000 over the educational course of a kid to go to school for, for 12 years. We're not getting our money's worth. Yeah, that's in some of our less expensive districts. Well, that's right. That, that's the average nationally. Yeah. So it's going to be up or down in some. Washington, D.C. is way more than that. Yeah. So it depends on the district you're in. But what we know is that every state constitution says that the purpose of public education is to prepare active and informed citizens. So we started those education systems to do exactly what to John Jay is saying here. Yeah. But what we know right now is if you look at recent elections, those who have gone through our public education system, you're looking right now at 70% that do not know the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. So, so we're definitely failing we're on failing. teaching the rising generation. You're looking at 65% that cannot even tell you what the role of the judiciary is. That's one of the three branches. As a matter of fact, speaking of one of the three branches, 62% of those who have gone through public education cannot even name the three branches of government. More than half. and they can't. So you definitely don't know what those branches are supposed to do if you don't even know what by they the are. Way, yeah. 48% of elected officials cannot name the three branches of government. That's half of our actual public half servants of in office. If you don't know three yeah. branches, you don't know checks and balances, you don't know functions, you don't know what the Constitution And that's why you read and study the Constitution. You teach it the rising generation. Well, maybe they devalue what what is in here because they think, look, this is old stuff. I mean, I hear yeah. that all the time. Ah, it's 200 years old. doesn't apply today. Why should I pay attention to, to all this stuff that yeah. happened 200 years well, ago? And, and let me just one more time hit this because this is our objective, and we're going to look yeah. at old stuff. So, number one, read the Constitution. Two, study the Constitution. Three, teach the Constitution, especially the rising generation, but maybe to the burger flippers beside you, maybe the mechanics in the shop where you work. Not only maybe the next generation, your generation. Now, because we're at a point now where public education is not taught us. So we've got to yeah. just teach the Constitution. But once we do that, we want to know our constitutional rights, we want to defend our constitutional rights, and assert our constitutional rights. Now, that's what we're after. But you've raised the issue up. You know, it's a really old document, and we hear that. because. Yeah. You know, the Founding Fathers, when, when they did this Constitution, they didn't have Internet. I mean, fastest transportation. No airplanes. Horses, yeah. you know. So what can we... I've been involved in a number of court cases, state and federal courts, on issues of history, original intent. And one of those issues is the issue of the Ten Commandments. 
because for generations in America, you're more likely to find a copy of the Ten Commandments hanging in a civic building than in a religious building. Right. And that's just the way it was. I mean, the, the Ten Commandments considered the foundation of law. And so in so many of these places where the Ten Commandments has been hanging, there's now a lawsuit saying, oh, you can't do that. That's religious. You have to take that down. So in going through and, and telling the judge, no, here's, here's the first law book in America. It goes back to the Code of 1650, and it quotes the Ten Commandments th all the way through. Yeah. Now, you take the Ten Commandments and look at the Ten Commandments. You know, I think that thing about honoring father and mother still works. I think thou shalt not kill right. still works. There's, I, not, there's not one of those now, that doesn't Every work one of today. those still yeah. works today. And the, the reason is they're not drawn on specifics, they're drawn on principles. They take timeless principles because the nature of man doesn't change. We still kill people, we still steal, yeah. we still perjure, we still disrespect parents, and that's why it works. That's the way the Constitution is. The Founding Fathers didn't give us all these specifics, they gave us these principles of jurisdiction, principles of overview, and that's why it still works more than two centuries later. That's why it'll still work two centuries from now if we know it and save it and preserve so it. So if they were thinking that way though, I mean if they were thinking, okay, we're going to put something in place here that needs to be timeless, that's going to still work 100, 200, 500 years from now, how did they get to that point? I mean, who were these guys to you have know, that kind of... Let's just take the guys who signed the Declaration. Now, we're going to, you're going to be doing this class in Independence Hall. And Independence Hall is where they signed the Declaration and the Constitutions. When I throw this up at a, a major law school, really sharp kids, and I'll say, who do you recognize? Everybody can find Jefferson, everybody can find Franklin, and that's where it stops. I go, wait a minute, 56 guys, give me some more. They don't know them. N number one, we've been taught to recognize our two least religious founding fathers. So we, we don't know anything about the Those other. Those are the only two they really that's talk about That's the only two schools, they talk yeah. about in schools. And we say, well, how, how about, let me just take you across the front row. How about Benjamin Harrison here, a great general in the Revolution? Or, or let's go here to Richard Henry Lee, the guy who actually made the proposal that we separate from Great Britain. He goes on to be one of the framers of the Bill of Rights. You, you've got the wealthiest man in America right there, Charles Carroll. You've also got one of the poorest guys in America right there with Sam right Adams. Next to him. Sam Adams is so poor that when they elected him to Congress, he didn't even have a suit of clothes. His, his neighbors took up a collection for him to get a suit of clothes. He had to go borrow a horse to ride to Congress. Uh, you, you, have business, you have John Hancock, who's one of the most famous businessmen in America. So you got it's business really a money. Mix got, of it's everything. Everything in the everything. every career. Every you got profession. rich. You got poor. As a matter of fact, 29 of these guys out of the 56 had a college degree. So nearly half of them didn't have a college degree. And uh, that was my next question was education because education were, they didn't all have the, the, the best one education. fourth of these guys were home educated several guys that this guy right here Roger Sherman the only guy to sign all four founding documents completely self-taught he never had any formal education wow. but they understood the principles and they got those principles and they wrote a document that didn't reflect what was going on 200 years ago it reflected human nature and one thing about these guys is they were patriots yeah. they loved their country no question about it and, and but what, know, what does that really mean? I mean, well, when you say they're patriots, that's a negative to some today. It's a big positive to others. That's what right. does it mean? It's Benjamin Rush, I think, is the best guy to explain it. Because Benjamin Rush, John Adams said he's one of the three most notable founding fathers. John Adams said there's George Washington, Ben Franklin, and Benjamin Rush. We will never stand. And they're going to name that most people are not going to know. Benjamin Don't have Rush. And they should because he is the top doctor in American history. 3,000 students got their medical diploma signed by him. He's also the father of public schools under the Constitution. He also started five universities, three go today. He signed the Declaration. He ratified the Constitution. He served in three different presidential administrations. He's the director of the U.S. Mint. He's a huge civil one rights guy leader. Do that much? One guy. He I starts, know he's one of your favorites too. You have a, you have is. a book on well, Benjamin Rush. See, and his life. We, we have a lot of books by Benjamin Rush. This is one of the original books that we'll talk about in a minute. But what he does is he says, let me tell you what patriotism is. And, and so this is what he's teaching the rising generation because the founding fathers understood we got the 
principles, but if our next generation doesn't understand this, it's yeah. not going to work. Yeah. So that's why we put so much time in education. you got to instill it in each so generation. So here's his definition of patriotism. He says, patriotism is as much a virtue as is justice. Now, who would be opposed to justice? Right. You know, nobody. He said, that's just as much a virtue as justice, and it's just as necessary for the support of societies as natural affection is for the support of families. Imagine trying to keep your family together if you didn't have love in the family. He says, well, imagine trying to keep your country together if you don't have love for your country. Mm. You've got to have love for your family. You, you go to the deck for each other in the family. Hey, you've got to be willing to do that. And, and he says, actually, if you're not patriotic, you're selfish. And, and this is the way he explains it. He says, the more patria, which is the love of country, the, the love of your country is both a moral and a religious duty. It comprehends not only the love of our neighbors, but of millions of our fellow creatures, not only of the present, but of future generations. In other words, if you love your country, you, you're saying, I want what's best for all my neighbors, and I'm going to work my tail off to have a good country because I want my neighbors to be prosperous and safe. I don't want thugs and criminals overrunning them. I want to make sure we got good government. I want to make sure they can keep the money they earn. I want to make sure they got a good education for the kids. And if I love my country, I'm going to fight for those things. So you're not just thinking of yourself. Not you're just thinking, thinking about the other people. You know, if it's just me, I, I'll just go off the grid somewhere. I'll get out and just, just live my life the way I want to. I'll go right off the grid. No, if I love others, I've got to fight for my country. I've got to be willing to stand and say, and that's what he says, not just for the present, but for future generations. I want to keep these principles alive so that if the Lord tarries for 200 years from now, this country is still working, still the most prosperous, the most stable, the most free in the history of the world. But that's what patriotism is. And that's why he says it's both a social and a religious duty. Man, there's so much of that wisdom in this room and in these books. We've got to come back to it. Now, our next part of this of this chapter I have to thank you for because we were actually sitting in a restaurant. I don't know if you remember this. We were in Nashville, Tennessee. We'd gone out there for you to speak to some legislators. And you and Cheryl and I were sitting in this restaurant. It's that one where they have live music. Do yep. you remember that? Yeah, I, I do remember that. And I was telling you, hey, we've been teaching this Constitution class around. We're going to record it again. And you said, why don't you do it at Independence Hall where the Constitution is framed? And I was like, oh, that's a dream. There's no way that would happen. You said, no, I've done it. So you talked me into calling them. I called them. It worked out. And we're going to now be able to go to the very place where all of this happened, really the cool. actual room, Independence Hall, and give folks a chance to learn and study the Constitution in the room where it happened. So let's go to Philadelphia for Constitution Alive. Now, the Constitution is so unique. It is the only Constitution that actually limits government. You know, we don't have to empower government. Government on its own will seek power. It will take power. It will grow, as we're seeing happening in the United States. But our Constitution limits the power of government. Part of the problem with people not understanding our founding documents is then they want too much from their government. They want the government to provide things that government is not supposed to be able to provide. And I think that's what we're seeing in America today. Out of time for today, folks. We're going to have to pick up where we left off. We'll do more tomorrow, and the next day we'll get the conclusion. Thanks so much for listening to Wobblers Live. We stand undivided, forever united, fighting.